Well, good morning, church. I'm uh, Kevin Scheid. Uh, sorry to disappoint. Uh, I know some of you might be here uh, waiting for Joseph to, uh, to give the story, but I'm the storyteller today. But it, it actually probably works out because it is Veterans Day and I'm a veteran, and actually a veteran in more than one ways. <clears throat> I'm a, a veteran storyteller. <laughs> now, some of you might remember I, was a, I told the first story, and ever since that, the subsequent stories got just better and better and better. And it got to the point now where uh, they're actually better than Peter's sermon. So it's, it's kind of a problem. So they called me in to reset the standard to a nice low standard. So I'm going to be talking about it. I, I tend to be a little passive aggressive in avoiding conflict. So I want to tell you a little story about where that really went awry. Um, I was in the Coast Guard. That's, uh, that's me. Of course, that's obvious. I, I haven't really changed any. But, <laughs> but when I was in the Coast Guard, I flew helicopters. And uh, there's a, this is the kind of helicopter I flew. And uh, we, we did uh, all kinds of missions, but what I'm going to talk about today is uh, law enforcement. And the Coast Guard does law enforcement over the ocean, you know, everything from, you know, pirates to pollution to drug interdiction to fisheries. And so what we do is uh, we get our crew together, pack up, and we deploy on a ship. This is a picture of a Coast Guard ship. So we'd land on that, and uh, we'd spend three weeks, and we'd be operating anywhere from Puerto Rico to uh, Mexico to up to um, Florida. So in this one ship I was deploying on, they were kind of slack, and uh, the, the flight quarters took a long time. Usually they take about three or four minutes. These guys are taking like 15 and 20 minutes. So it's kind of dangerous actually, because when you'd come back from a patrol, it would take them a long time to, uh, to get their flight quarters before you could land. Well, <clears throat> anyway, the, the captain on the ship was a really nice guy and I got along with him very well, and, which is a little unusual because there was a little bit of inner service rivalry between the aviators and the ship drivers. You know, the ship drivers thought that we, uh, <clears throat> the aviators got paid too much, didn't work enough, and we got all the glory, <clears throat> which was actually true, but, <clears throat> but we, didn't, we didn't like going on the ships and hearing them whine about it all the time. But <clears throat> anyway, so things are going well, and I didn't want to really confront this, this uh, captain, and, <clears throat> uh, but got an opportunity one day uh, towards the beginning of the cruise. <clears throat> so at lunch, and um, on a ship, everything is very formal, all the, all the meals. You have assigned seats with your napkins, and, and uh, you have to wait for the, the ca captain before you can sit down, and it's just very, extremely formal. So anyway, this one day he comes down, and he starts talking about, uh, he's reading a book on, on bombing things. And of course, I knew nothing about bombing, but uh, then he, then he kind of crossed the line. He said, well, you know, Coast Guard, pilots probably couldn't bomb either, you know, he couldn't, probably couldn't hit anything. And, and I said, well, no, I, no, I think we probably could. And uh, because we, we dropped things to boats and all that, and we went back and forth a little bit. Then I had this really uh, uh, good idea. There was a bowl of fruit on the table, and I said, okay, nobody eats this fruit, so how about if, I take, if we take some of these oranges when we go flying, and we're, we're waiting for flight quarters, and we're you know, uh, 
going overhead. We'll just see if we can hit the ship. <laughs> and he thought about this a little bit, and he, and he said, uh, okay, but you have to be at least 1,000 feet, you know, and, and you have to be at least 90 miles an hour. I said, okay, that's great. So, so we started doing it, and, and actually it wasn't working out exactly the way I thought, because we were not hitting the ship, but the crew thought on the ship thought this was really great, and they were taking a lot longer to actually land. But, but I thought, okay, we're, uh, we're at least throwing oranges at them, and it's their oranges. So <laughs> things seem to be kind of balancing out. Well, after doing this a couple of days, uh, I'm up on the bridge, the other pilot is flying, talking to the captain, and, and all of a sudden they announce, uh, stand by for a bombing run. So I thought, oh, this would be interesting. So the captain and I go out to the bridge wing, and we see this helicopter up there, and this little tiny orange dot, you can barely see it, just a tiny speck. And it's just kind of hanging in the air. Well, as a note, when something's falling and it looks like it's hanging in the air, it's coming right at you. <clears throat> So we were watching this, and suddenly it, it just turned into a blur, and this ear-splitting roar with a huge explosion right behind our heads. It had gone right between us and just missed us. It actually uh, put about a half-inch dent in this battle-hardened uh, superstructure, and there's nothing left of the orange. It had completely atomized. The seeds, the, the peeling and everything just completely disintegrated. So we looked at each other kind of like, what we were you thinking? <clears throat> Just when the, uh, they announce, uh, stand by for another bombing run. So we both run, tr try to get into the bridge and yelling, uh, stand down, and we kind of crash into each other. But anyway, that was the end of the bombing runs. So I kind of learned, I think, uh, uh, probably one of the 25 dumbest things I've ever done in my life. But anyway, this is, uh, you know, afterwards I'd wear the helmet a little bit more often. <laughs> anyway, if you happen to see me, uh, and I seem to be a little bit too confrontational, it's probably because I'm trying to um, not get killed by an orange. <laughs> anyway, th thank you for listening to my story. Okay, this morning, our scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading verses uh, 23 through 33 from chapter 11 in the New International Version. Chapter, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. 
I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not, do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under the king Arteus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kevin, for telling your story. It's really going to be hard to follow that, I have to say. Good morning. My name is Julie Steele, and I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen. And the title of our sermon today is Basket Case. What do you think of when you hear the term basket case? The dictionary says that it's a person or thing regarded as useless or unable to cope. I think we've all felt that way at some point or another. And some think that this term originated in World War I, where it, it described a soldier who had lost all four limbs and needed to be carried back in a basket. However, all the reading I did that's not completely, uh, not everybody agrees with that. So I'm not sure if that's a myth or not, but that's, that's what the word is out there. Well, I bet that we all have at some time or another felt like we've been unable to cope or useless in some situation, right? You've tried everything, nothing seems to work. Your car breaks down, the kids get sick, you lose your cell phone, you score lower, low on a important test, the roof leaks, you have a dinner party in 15 minutes and your husband decides to clean the shower curtain at that point, yes it actually happened, and the list continues. Some say that life is a bowl of cherries, but I would say that many times life can be a basket case. When I started studying for today's uh, message, I almost left off these last few verses that Kevin read for us because I didn't see how they connected with the rest of the chapter. However, literally in the middle of the night, when God usually does speak to me, it clicked as to why Paul included his basket-lowering event. And you'll see as we go along what this connection is. If I can get our verses up here, there we go. So Paul starts asking the question, are they servants of Christ, he says? I am more. And then he goes on to list all of the hardships that he has endured because of the ministry. So what's the backstory here? Why does he feel the need to defend himself? Well, in the verses before the ones that Kevin just read for us, Paul uses the term super apostles to describe some who were criticizing him. They thought that Paul did not measure up in terms of his eloquence, personal charisma, and evidence of signs and wonders that he would not have performed. Now Paul, according to the standards of Greek rhetoric, was an untrained speaker, that is true. 
The ability to speak in a polished and sophisticated and entertaining way was popular. It's not a new thing, is it? It's really easy for us to be taken in by the image or the outward appearance of somebody. We get caught up in the delivery of a message, and instead we lose what the mission is. It's our human tendency, and it always has been. So Paul didn't fit that outward mold, and so he defends his authority as an apostle of Christ by listing out all of these things that you see that he endured for the sake of others encountering Christ. He wants the Corinthians to know that he is the real deal, so that when they're tempted to follow these super or false apostles that are showing up and causing dissension, they will realize that their message is not authentic. Now, the events that Paul is describing here, you can read in the book of Acts as told by the gospel writer Luke. And whether or not you can relate to any of these things on Paul's list, I would bet that you have your own list. So what hardships would you say are on your list? Unemployment, divorce, miscarriage, abuse, chronic illness, the loss of a loved one. Those could be a few of the examples that could be included on your list. Well, Paul goes on to say in verses 28 and 29, besides everything else, all these things I've just told you about, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He now changes from the outward sufferings to the daily pressure of concern that is with him all the time. I bet you can relate to that. These external difficulties, they seem insignificant compared to the internal and emotional burden that Paul carried. The internal burden shows that he's much more concerned about others than his own well-being. He's not whining about what he went through. He did it because he loved these people and he wanted them to know Christ. Paul experienced this in his ministry. He experienced what it means to become involved with other people's struggles. He experienced it just as we do. Ministry can burn us out and we can become basket cases if we are in constant concern for other people's problems. And that's just part of being in community. Oswald Chambers said that as we enter this spiritual struggle, we deliberately identify ourselves with God's interests in other people. And we find to our amazement that we have power to keep wonderfully poised in the center of it all. Well, I haven't always found that, and I bet you haven't either. The only way that we can keep wonderfully poised is by trusting God for other people and their problems and remembering we do not have the answers. Our role is to encourage them to turn to God and to walk alongside them in their crisis. We identify with their pain, but we can't take on their pain ourselves. I know it's easier said than done. He says, who is weak that I am not weak? He felt deeply for those 
in the churches that he planted. His concern for their spiritual development, it was taxing. He felt responsibility for their growth and especially that they would not fall prey to these false apostles who presented a different Jesus. A Jesus that would fit the mold that they wanted him to. You see, Paul was much more concerned about his converts knowing the truth than being liked or looked up to for the wrong reasons as these false apostles did. The false apostles, they wanted followers, but Paul wanted followers to follow Jesus. These false apostles, they just wanted more people and more attention, and they weren't concerned about the actual spiritual life of these people. You know, it reminds me of how our staff and our leadership team have the same concern as Paul did for his congregations. We want everyone here at Evergreen to be able to encounter the true Jesus and grow in the knowledge of him. Pointing others to Christ is a test of who is real and who is false. As followers of Christ, we know we're weak. We know we don't have the answers. We know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. However, we also know that all of our power lies in his power. Those who promote themselves as the answer and preach a gospel of prosperity, they don't carry the emotional weight that Paul did and we do. They take truth and they twist it for their own purposes, which is just to get more followers. Nothing new there either. So then Paul says why he boasts in his weakness. He says, I know who I am and I know who God is. I know I'm weak. I'm going to boast in that. I'm not going to hide that or try to fake it. But I also know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I'm going to boast in that. His boasting turns to not what he can do, but what God has done. Another example of an authentic apostle. Well, if anyone had reason to be a basket case, it was definitely Paul. All of that physical and emotional trauma that he endured was way more than any human being can withstand. And it makes me think of a lot of our veterans and all of the things that they have gone through and sacrificed for each of us. We do honor you today. We honor all those who have served this country and especially the families who have lost loved ones. Well, Paul ends this chapter with a story that goes back to the beginning of his ministry. This recount of his narrow escape is another example of his weakness and vulnerability. It's as if he's saying to these Corinthians, this is how my ministry began, and this is how it's continuing. What a contrast. Saul, before he became Paul, he persecuted Christians. He hunted them down. He had all the power, and now the tables have turned. He's the one who's hunted down, and he has to escape in a very ignoble way. He tells us that he escaped arrest by being lowered in a basket in the dead of night through a window in the wall by fellow Christians. Now, it's good to note here that Paul, he did not have this escape on his own. Others made his escape happen. So do you feel like a basket case this morning? 
Do any of these words in this basket apply to you? Are you dealing with any physical challenges? Maybe it's your health, maybe it's finances, maybe it's lack of resources. Maybe you just don't have enough time in the day to get done what you need to get done. And what about the emotional challenges? Relationship issues, concern for loved ones, or just being overwhelmed with life. Maybe you look great on the outside physically, but on the inside, you're really suffering. Being a parent is full of physical and emotional challenges, right? Lack of sleep, trying to keep up with the boundless energy that these kids have, it's exhausting, but it's nothing compared to the internal emotional burden of trying to raise happy, competent, loving kids, right? It's a constant worry just like Paul's constant worry for the churches. And no matter how old those kids get, it never ends, right? Grandparents can shake your heads knowing that. And the holidays are coming up. Yikes, does that send a chill through you? They can leave you feeling like a basket case, right? The shopping, the cooking, the decorating, and all the family stuff. Making sure this one doesn't sit next to this one at the table because there's going to be some conflict there. Managing all of that. There are people that irritate you before they walk in the room, right? Well, it seems like Paul maybe had it easy because some of us would rather be shipwrecked. A joyous occasion can become very stressful though, right? If you think you can handle life on your own and everything it throws at you, then you will be a basket case at some point. So what's your plan of escape so that you do not become a basket case? How can you head off getting to that breaking point? Who can intervene on your behalf? I want to share an experience with you I had a few weeks ago where I was a basket case and someone helped me escape. A few weeks ago, many of you know, my husband Barry was in the ICU for three days. He had an infection that caused his glucose level, and he is a diabetic, to go dangerously high. So we'd been dealing with this for weeks, trying to manage it at home, but it finally got to a point where we needed to go into the ER, and he immediately got admitted. And the doctors kept saying, this is really serious. So as you can imagine, I was pretty scared. And on top of that, my mom and my sister were flying in the next day, and Annabelle was supposed to be getting baptized. So we had all these family things planned. So not only was I worried about Barry, but I was also trying to figure out managing, changing things around, and how I was going to manage just those daily things that were going on. These things never happen at a convenient time, do they? Well, like Paul, I was physically tired because I wasn't sleeping, and emotionally, I was pretty much at the end of my very short rope. Also, supervising all those nurses took a lot out of me, too. Well, my girlfriend picked up my mom from the airport, took her back to my house, so that was taken care of. But I had this, this is going to sound really crazy, but I had this coat in the back of my car that I kept meaning to return, and I was going to do it on the day that my mom and I went to the mall and got all these things done. So that was just kind of hanging over me, too. Well, 
One of the days when Barry was having a test that I couldn't be with him for, I thought, I'm going to run into church for this little meeting, and then I'm going to take that coat back, and I'm going to get back to the hospital. So here's how God used a stranger to turn my basket case into a basket of escape. I was at the counter of the store, and the sales girl looked at me and said, is there anything I can do for you besides returning your coat? What an odd question. I said, no, that I just needed to return the coat, thank you. And she looked at me again really intently and asked the question again. So nobody was around at this point, which is really strange, because it's noon and everybody's running their errands, but there's nobody here. And so I figured, I must really look like a basket case, or this woman is not going to be pressing me like this. And so I said, well, my husband was in the hospital, and I just needed to get this taken care of so that I could get back there. She then asked me, are you a praying woman? And I said, yes, but inside I was thinking, I haven't been doing much of that lately. I, that's why I'm a basket case. She asked, she said, can I pray for your husband and you? And she asked his, our names. I was just blown away. Again, nobody's around. She wasn't weird about it, but she had this authority about her. I cannot explain. I would have told her anything. So as I left the store, she said, God bless you, and I knew Something holy had just happened. Something otherworldly just happened. God used this woman to remind me that he was with me in this. He used her to help me escape the pressure that I was carrying. Things were still hard. That did not change. But I could shift my focus on what was happening to how God was working in it. When you are a basket case, the only way out is to put your focus on the Lord. Paul boasted that he was weak, but it didn't matter because it was God's power and strength that sustained him. You may not be a basket case right now. Things might be going really well for you, and that's great. But maybe God wants you to be the one to lower someone else in their basket to escape their difficulty like Paul's friends did and like that woman did for me. So is there someone you can think of right now who needs you to be their plan of escape? I'm reminded of the story in Luke about the man who could not move, and so his friends carried him to see Jesus. They made a hole in the roof, where Jesus was, they lowered him down. They did for him what he could not do for himself. They brought him to the one who could help him. They knew they couldn't, but they knew who could. We were created for community. Going it alone was never God's plan for us. Belonging to a community, helping and encouraging each other, to become mature in our faith and be able to see how God is working in each other's lives, 
staying engaged by serving each other in times of need, that's what Jesus intended the church to be. How do we keep from becoming a basket case or help someone who is? When I start to feel the pressure of life just pressing in, I have a habit of recalling verses like these. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Replace the negative stuff with the truth, with the positive stuff from God. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I'm sure that Paul had to recall the Old Testament scriptures to help him refocus in times of need. Perhaps he thought of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I have cards that many of you have sent, and in particular, Joan Selvig has been an amazing encouragement to me, where she'll write these great verses for me, and I have kept them over the years, and I take them out to help me refocus on what is true. And what is true is that God is with me no matter what I'm going through. I have this wonderful book that's my favorite devotional called 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. And here's what she says about refocusing. Without God's word as a lens, the world warps. Lord, you are the only lens that can correct the vision of life. Make me word reflective that I may have the right perspective. And that is the way we can keep from becoming a basket case or getting out of it. Would you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your word that reminds us of your provision in our hardships. We thank you for those you have put in our lives to encourage us and help us to see your presence in the midst of our daily struggles. God, whatever burdens we have in our baskets, help us to fix our eyes on you so that we can experience your perfect peace. In your name we pray, amen.